We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You have a super chat here from Tommy Guns. Appreciate that, Tommy, very, very much. Here's another super chat here from Adam Shipley, Ryan. This is kind of what we talked about earlier. Um, uh, thank you yeah. for the super chat, Adam, very, very much. He's running and moving and going through drills and all that. It's just I don't know if he's where he is from a football uh, standpoint in in that regard. So, uh, you know, again, he's definitely, definitely getting healthier. I just don't know when he's going to be ready to be, you know, going out there and kind of going through putting the pads on and going through that kind of stuff. Right. So, yep. Yep. So here we go. Let's Hopefully he gets back because he's dynamic. Yes, he's he is. really good. He's really good. Here's an interesting one from Irish Blooded, Ryan. If you could pick your players and scheme, what type of offense defense would you pick for your team? Am I assuming this is the Notre Dame roster that I'm picking for? Or is this just what team I'm picking just for? Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that's a I, – I would just kind of say – Let's just go kind of big picture, you know, like, okay, so me, I'm more of a pro style guy. So yeah. I've always said, I like a, I'm an inside and outside zone guy. I want to have some linemen that can move people, but also have some decent athleticism. So you've already got some guys that fit that pretty well. I'm a, you know, I, I, my offense would be more Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree ish than Audric Estime ish from a, just a style of play personally. Audric Estime is a, a very talented back. It's just everybody fits different offenses. And there's a reason why I'll, I'll be honest. One of my biases has always been Ryan big receivers. I've always had a bias towards big receivers because the offense that I like that I'd want to run thrives with big receivers. It's a it's a one on ones. It's it's being able to throw back shoulders because I I'm, I like to run the football and I want guys that can win one on ones and I don't want guys that have to rely on precise route running every time and speed to win one on ones. I like guys that are open even when they're not open. You know, and so that's always been kind of my preference for that. And defensively, I've always I've I grew up as a four three guy. I've, I've I've fallen in love with the four two five. Yes, especially when you can if you can find a guy like a Jeremiah Wusukormo. That's the big key for me is finding a Jeremiah Wusukormo type, and then give me some cam. I mean, look honestly for my preferred type of defense, Notre Dame has several guys in the secondary that fit what I would want as my ideal defense. I was watching the Clemson game again last night. They played camp. They played Benjamin Morrison, impressed man, almost the entire game. 
and just said, I dare you to throw it at him. And they and Clemson kept throwing at him. I mean, it not just the two picks around, but they kept trying to throw deep on him. And every time he's like, he's playing on the high shoulder and he's just yeah, it's just great coverage. And I think Cam Hart fits what I like a lot as well. And so does Xavier Watts. I like rangy athletic guys can that I can play man coverage with, but also have the type of tackling ability where I can I can mix up zones as well. And so in that regard, they've got a lot of guys like that that I really like, honestly, mm-hmm. for Notre Dame. So what yeah. about you? I, defensively, we see it very similarly. I'm, I've always been a 4-2-5 guy. I fell in love with Gary Patterson back in the day as far as just kind of researching how he runs his defense. Umbrella coverage, being able to play some cloud, but rotate down. Like there's a lot of cool things that Gary Patterson did with the 4-2-5. And I also love it too because it's so easy – to use multiple personnel, right? Like you could run four, three personnel out of a four, two, five. You could run nickel, a true nickel out of a four, two, five as well. And you can, it's just so diverse what you can do out of a four, two, five, which is why I love it tremendously. So we see four, two, five, very different, uh, very similarly as far as why I think it kind of draws to us. Offensively, I'm not Irish, but if, if I had to prefer, I am also more of a pro style guy like Brian is. But I honestly, I, I'm just not as religious in what I believe offensively. I'm not. Like, I, I know defensively what I like and what I think is successful, but I was always more of a defensive guy, right? For me, it's whatever fits your, the team that you have surrounding it, right? I, so I'm not, as, I'm not as hamstrung on offensively. I want to run this. I want to run that. I don't want to run this. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a compromiser on the offensive side of the football, but I am definitely more pro style, but 4-2-5 defensively. Easy money, like that's that's my, that's my jam. That's my jam because I just think cycling between a base defense and a nickel is so easy out of the four two five alignment. You can do so many great things. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Notre Dame 2164 has another question for us, Ryan. If the Notre Dame defensive line reaches its potential this year, where will the defense be ranked? 
What about the linebackers? What if both reach their potential? If the D line reaches its potential this year, I think Notre Dame, where will, where will the defense be ranked? I think it's a clear top 10 to 15 defense, if not top 10, right? I would, I would, I would go towards top 10. Out of the defensive line and linebackers, Brian, which one do you think is most impactful for them reaching their D line? Easily. D line. Close. E- yeah. Easily. Just, I mean, you play linebacker. Yeah. You could be an okay linebacker and be very productive if your D line is just killing people. You know, and and we've seen that at Notre Dame. And to me, you could be also, Ryan, you could also be a really good linebacker, but if your defensive line is getting eaten up, perfect example, go watch the first half of the pit game in 2012. No Lewis Nicks and pitch just getting up to Manti and chopping them the whole first half as they jump out to lead. Then they put Nicks back in the second half because he's banged up and Manti goes off and Pitt's, Pitt can move the ball anymore, you know. Uh, and that's not to say the Manti wasn't a great player, but a great linebacker needs the defensive line to do its job and do it well. And the other thing too is, is, is with this particular team, I think the highest upside for what this team could be is still up front. You know, so what does it look like reach its potential? Okay. But and Burnham show up, show out, but Baptiste is a, is a guy Riley Mills takes that leap as a big time player. Uh, Gabriel Rubio takes a big jump now in year three and becomes a, a force in, at the nose, right? That would be something I would look at. Um, Alexander Ehrensberger kind of flashes. Tyson Ford has a big year two jump, right? And and so that's what that that that's some disruptive, long, talented dudes stepping up and playing right there. And you know, Sean Davis and I were talking about this the other day, and, and I don't know if he said it on one of his Lucky Lefty podcast shows, but we were just talking about he was saying that like if the D line, if if the pass rush for this team shows up, and he thinks it will, this team's going to be hard to beat. Because if the pass rush shows up and you have to get rid of the ball quickly, you're going to turn it over a lot with the secondary, a lot. And I think he's absolutely right. So if the linebacker, to me, Ryan, it's like this. If the linebackers are solid and the D-line's great, they'll have a better defense than if the D-line is solid and the linebackers are great. Both are good. Both will be top 15 defenses, I think. But when the D-line is playing its potential, it's a top 10 defense. And so give me elite defense, solid linebacker play over the other way around. I just think right. the thing is the talent is there for them both to be really flipping good this year. You yeah. know, it's just, will they, will they be maximized or not? That's going to be the question. I, I guess, I guess my main question is so spurning, and I know it's going to be a different group, obviously, right? Like this isn't 2022 anymore, but in my opinion, and let me know if you disagree with this, but the defensive line in 2022, in my opinion, was solid. It was solid to good most of the year, right? I don't solid think overall ever... had a couple yeah. flashy moments. Like exactly. they took over the second half of the Cal game, right? Yes. They had a couple games. They, they were really good against North Carolina. Yeah. But those were just kind of Clemson. They were really good against. They had about, I'd say, what, about four, four games this year where they, wow, like where it's for exactly. stretches, they took the game over. Yeah. But they weren't consistently as good. They also had some stretches where, like, dude, what are they doing? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but so for me, it's like they're a solid unit with flashes of good, right? Linebackers, I would say, were below average for most of the years with flashes of of solid, right? Like so, I think that the defensive line performed better than the linebackers, mostly in 2022. So I guess my question would be for you, Brian, is where I was trying to come from. It is if you, if you, if you had the same group of linebacker play last year, and you had great defensive line play. Or you had the solid defensive line and great linebacker play 
does that switch the conversation for you at all, or is it still defensive line? They still it, de- it depends on who my D coordinator is. If I have a if I have sure. a defensive coordinator that's not so focused on his scheme, then he would make a change at will. Right. Uh, but I'd I, I would still always go with the elite D line. Yeah, I'd always go with the elite D line just because they'll make up some of those mistakes. Sure. I, I, you know, I just I just feel that they will. And um, now, if you were to ask me. A good solid D line and the linebacking core <laughs> plays to its potential. Would I feel this defense is going to be really good? Yeah, it'll still be really good because there's things you can do with a blitz scheme that you can kind of overcome the fact you don't have any great pass rushers up front. But at the end of the day, that's the reason it comes down to for me, Ryan, is because if you don't have a really good D line, it's hard, much harder to generate a pass rush without blitzing. And I think sure. when you have to generate a pass rush, when you have to generate a, a pass rush by blitzing because you have to, not because you want to you're just going to be more vulnerable to giving up big plays. I agree with you know? that. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, good question. We're getting some really good questions today, guys and gals. From John A1, if Riley, move, Riley Mills excuse me, moves back inside and Aiden Kianaana does indeed make a full recovery, what is the projected starting defensive line in 2023? I mean – for me, Brian, I, I, inside, I still think it's Howard Cross and Riley Mills potentially, right? Howard Cross at nose, Riley Mills at three tech. And then defensive line-wise, you're talking about, you know, potentially Javante Jean-Baptiste at big ends. And then you're talking about Jordan Batelho or Joshua Burnham at Viper kind of doing some some switch duty, right? Maybe some Junior Tui Lamaka in there. I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree or see something different, but that's kind of my initial impulse on it. Yeah, I, I, if Aiden Kanaan is fully healthy and on the team, I still don't think it changes anything as far as who starts. It's going to be Riley Mills and Howard Cross inside as starters, and it's going to be Javante John Baptiste and Jordan Patejo at Viper as the starters. It's now a, a perfect world scenario for me would be that they convince Howard Cross to not start because I think having Riley Mills at nose tackle. And Howard Cross kind of being a hybrid three nose, three nose, three nose, where you're limited his reps to 30 to 35 snaps a game is better for him. You know, I mean, he he just he's better when he can play fewer snaps. I don't know if he'll believe that or not, or if he wants to hear that or not, but he just he just is. It's been true his entire career. And the if you if a, with a guy like that, Ryan, if you don't start him, then you don't start his clock as soon, his play clock as soon. And and then he can kind of mix up and play both of those positions, and so that that's that to me is where I would. That's that's where I would kind of go, with that one. Sure. That'd be my my stance on that one, Ryan. But I I don't think Keanu on a breaking out has any bearing on who starts. Yeah, in my he'd have. I mean, to, I, I mean I, being healthy, it would be really say. nice for depth. Yeah, you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now he'd have to get healthy and then somehow have a huge breakout for that to be the case. Sure. Uh, him, him just being healthy. I think Gabriel Rubio is the more talented player, and he's also three hundred pounds. You know, so I mean that that'd be a that'd be the nose that I would would. Now he played a lot of three technique last year, but I think Gabriel needs to be inside, and I think another year in a weight room, um, would be very benefit is going to be very big for him, in my opinion, very yes. big for him. Well, and I, I would say, I mean, Gabriel Rubio is a guy that I don't, I feel like we need to talk about more because he could really help the D line. He was just a, he was a redshirt man. freshman last year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and he got better and, and better well. and better. Yeah. He had some, he had some ups and downs early to stop moving his feet and get, you know, knocked on his butt. 
because he's a kid that never played against anyone that can knock him on his butt before. You know what I mean? Like the only person he's ever lined up against in his life until he went to college that could knock him on his butt was his dad. You know what I mean? (laughs) Who was an NFL offensive lineman for a, for a little bit. So, you know, he learned from it. Hey, I don't care how big you are and good you are. You can't stop your feet. You got to keep moving. Uh, Or if you're going to stop your feet, better anchor, you know? So he he learned his lesson and you didn't see that happening moving forward. So yeah, Ryan, I I thought he got better and better every year. I think he's a guy and he was a highly ranked guy and talented kid. He just learning, you know, and, and, and he, I think he's got a chance to be a breakout guy this year. It's, I think people forget that he's young kid. I mean, I don't know what it is. Like we kind of, if guys don't ball out by their first or second year, we kind of write them off, you know, like, um, but I don't know why we're not talking more about Gabriel Rubio. I think you're absolutely Agreed. right. Absolutely right, Ryan. Here's another one from John A1. What front seven personnel group would be the most schematically capable without subbing between base, 425-335? I think it's 425, personally. I mean, I, just, I think it depends on the team. depends on the personnel. You know, on Notre I mean, Dame, do you think it depends? Just in or? general, I think. Yeah. Because, like, to me, it's like if I have a if I have a Von Miller type of outside linebacker, then I'm going to primarily be a four two five team, right? I don't sure. I don't want him dropping into coverage. If I'm a if I'm a three four team that has more of a like a Will Anderson's in the same category, can he drop into coverage? Sure, but why? You know, <laughs> um, and that'd be more of a four down type of type of look. But if I've got if if I if my best outside linebackers, my best you know, Vipers are the Jordan Patelho, Josh Burnham types like a Notre Dame uh, or project that to another team. Then I think that's more of a three, three, five type of type of situation to be because then we're talking about, you know, what allows you to be most multiple. I think a, I think a, a hybrid linebacker, Ryan, can be more multiple than a hybrid defensive end, I guess, is the way that I look at it. You know what I mean? And so. But it just so much of it depends on who your personnel is. I know what I per, I, I prefer me personally. I prefer the four two five, with a with a really athletic guy Viper that can move around a little bit. But if you know, but I also see the merit to being a three three five, depending on who your personnel is. I mean, Jordan Patelho was playing Viper in twenty twenty one. I mean, Rover in twenty twenty one. You know, like don't ask him to be Isaiah Foskey. You know, so. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's kind of kind of where we're at. So, yep. here's another one from Irish Blooded, kind of related to that. Ryan with John Baptiste on the roster now. Who would you want uh, where on your front seven? I mean, we we kind of talked a lot about that already. Yeah, uh, I to me though, the only change that I would add since he said front seven is I would still like to see them move to a more three three five or four two five. A tra- I want to see them move to a traditional four two five. Or a traditional three three five based on the personnel. I don't. I just don't think Notre Dame has the personnel right now, unless they're going to move Jalen Seed out to Rover to be a three linebacker team in the sense of where one of them is a is a is a true linebacker as opposed to one of them being a viper. Well, so I just yeah. And I think with the personnel Notre Dame has to your original point, whether you're talking about Joshua Burnham or Jordan Batelho or Junior Tuilamaka. You're, it, it's good. I think it's going to be kind of easy for Notre Dame potentially to cycle between a four-two-five and a three-three-five. Like it's only a one. It's a it's a one-player adjustment in that situation, right? And then when you want to go nickel, it's just like okay, well we're four-two-five nickel base. Like that's kind of what we want to move right. to, right? So I think that you can be very. 
I think it's easily adjustable to go from a 4-2-5 to a 3-3-5 in this instance with what you have. It's not as easy when you had Isaiah Foskey playing Viper, for instance, right? But when you have Jordan Batelho playing Viper, it's, e- it's I think, relatively easy to move from a 4-2-5 to a 3-3-5 on a snap-to-snap basis just because you have a little bit more of a versatile player comparative to a, just a dominant pass rusher in a Isaiah Foskey. Or a dominant edge player, I should say. Right. Maybe not, yeah. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, from Logan Thayer. Who are our best, who are Notre Dame's best 11 players on offense this season, ignoring positions? So when we say best, let's go with a combination of talent plus what type of production we think they're capable of at their position this year. So not like, sure. hey, I think Braylon James is one of the most 11, most Talented. physically gifted guy. But where is he in his development at this point in time? Sure. Right. So, so let's impactful go for 2023. Yeah. Is basically. Too. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, so best, I think I, I like how he said best, not most talented. Sure. So I think best incorporates all of that. So that's where I want, where I want to be at Ryan. So yep. who are the best? I mean, Joe I mean, Walt's I think, number one, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Joe Walt and Blake Fisher are no brainers in the top 11. Oh yeah. I don't think that right now, I would have any other lineman in my top 11 right now. Although uh, a Billy Shrouth, a Ty Chan, a Charles Jagasaw could potentially jump into that if they're able to kind of figure the offense out and get the technique. Because again, we're going best, not most physically gifted. Yeah. So, I, but for I, now, I, that's where I'd be. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, th- I think that it's a to be determined on the rest of the offensive line. You have. Joe Alt, you have Blake Fisher. I think those are pretty easy ones. I would say I'd have at least two running backs in that top 11, right? I mean, Audrey Gastamay, Logan Diggs, for sure. Chris Tyree, dependence. But I, th- I think two running backs is where I would settle just initially starting the list, and we'll kind of if, fill it out, if, right? If Tyree is used correctly, he's absolutely in that conversation for me. But that's why he's a little bit of an asterisk, for, I think, Ryan, for me, is because I don't know if they're going to use him correctly. Yes, but if they used him correctly, I would have him. And then the other one would be, if if I knew that Jadarian Price was going to be healthy, he'd be in there for me. Sure. And and so and I'm not putting any freshmen in this list. By the way, I, I need to see them in a college uniform first before. I, for me, for me, you can put them if you want, but for me, I need to I need to see him in a college uniform first. It's Sam but, Hartman's a no brainer, right? Sam right. Hartman's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've got two quarterbacks in there. You have Buckner in there too. I got. I mean, Buckner is one of your most dynamic football players. And, you know, and I think he'd do some really special things this year if it, if they didn't land Sam Hartman. Now, I don't know if he can consistently do it, which is why you bring in Sam Hartman. But I think he's in that conversation. I may I may kind of bump him out here as I kind of go through the the other list. Well, let me ask you this. Are any tight ends in your top 11 right now? I, I think M- Mitchell Evans might be able to sneak in at 11. I, I honestly would have to write it down, though. I mean, it's it's yeah. they, they're definitely not in the higher re- part of the list. There's no doubt. I mean, it's just too much. I just have yeah. too many questions right now from yeah. an all-around perspective. I think Mitchell Evans would be a good player, but just how good I think is is where I'm a little stuck on. How many wide receivers would you have on your list? That's a good question. For sure, three. Yeah. For, For sure, sure, three. Um, the guy I'm leaving off that we're think- not thinking of is is right now would be Lorenzo Styles, because talent wise, there's no doubt he belongs on that list. It's Thomas Colsey and Merriweather for me. I agree yeah. there. I agree there. Yeah. So that that's eight for me, nine for you because you have Buckner, right? Correct. Correct. Yep. So we have and I more. have Tyree. 
as well. And you have Tyree. So, oh, so you have 10. Yeah. So you need No, no, more. I have a nine. I have Alt, Fisher, Diggs, Estimate, Tyree, Hartman, Buckner, Thomas, Merriweather, Colsey. Okay. So, so far no, I have. 10. I counted yeah, nine. You have that 10. Is 10. I yeah. have eight because I didn't have Tyree and I left off Buckner for now mm-hmm. just because I want to see how it fills out. So I'm, sure. I'm at eight at the moment. It's hard not to put Styles on there, but like just the way he played this year, he's got to show me a ton. He's yeah. got. I would have Mitchell Evans on there just because um, I'm projecting a little bit with him. I just think that now that he's going to have another full year of the off season, he's not. And last healthy. off season would have been huge for him because he was he, but he wasn't healthy. He got hurt in spring, I think, right? Or was it the winter? Yes, but. Yeah he missed a bunch of development time and that's a former converted quarterback that needed that physical development time in a weight room. He's going to get that. Cause if you looked at him this year, Ryan, he has no definition to speak of whatsoever. None. Where, and you look at Michael Mayer and he's like, he's like yoked up and he's all jacked up. And, and you look at Eli Raritan and he's all jacked up and Holden Stace has got some definition. Then you got Mitchell Evans, you know? It, so it's like now this off season, things will be a little bit different. He's a big kid, man. Yeah. Naturally, just a big yeah. kid. You know? But he's a pretty so. good athlete for his size. He's not an explosive athlete, but he's a smooth athlete, smooth. you know? Yeah. And so I just have – I don't know – I don't have any reason to back this up. I mean, he caught three passes last year. I get it. But I have Tobias on here who caught one, you know? Um, at at, at least just, Mitchell caught the three passes in his lone starts sure. of yeah. the season, right? <laughs> And and it was open a few more times where he could have got the ball. I'm gonna say I'm projecting a little bit on that one and gonna go with Mitchell Evans. I, I think I would end up having Mitchell and Tyler Buckner in my top eleven now that I like I'm going through the numbers. So I'm at ten. My last spot, man, is just tough. I mean, like I would like to get Tyree in there. I'm thinking about Lorenzo Styles. I'm even thinking about Zeke Carell, to be honest. Like I'm thinking about it. It's just I'd probably put Zeke Carell just because he's a little more known commodity to me. So I'll end yeah. it with Zeke. Yep, that's a good one. That's a good one. Here we go. I, we had a, we had one down here that I, that I think we had a super chat down here. Let me see if I can find it. I'm, I don't think we brought them all up yet. Just give me a second. Here we go. Here's one from uh, Tyler Tyler Evans. I'm going to ask. I'm going to read this one, Ryan, since it's for you. This is an NFL draft yeah. question. So Tyler Evans, thank you for the super chat. By the way, Tyler it says, Mister Roberts, NFL draft question. What is the draft hype surrounding Will Levis? I don't see it. Let me add my little uh, owner's note here too. Tyler, I agree. I don't <laughs> get it. Tyler, when I when I launch the NFL draft show soon, this might be one of the main topics to start. It might honestly be, man, because look, Will Levis is going to be a very controversial player in this class. It's it's maddening the the level of hype that he's getting, to be honest, because I mean, first and foremost, the question, right, is where where's the hype coming from? Because I agree. Me and Brian have talked about this on the phone several times. I do not agree with the hype. I don't. Mm-hmm. If, if you could tell me that I could get Will Levis in the day two range as a developmental quarterback, I'd be like, cool. We can get there on that. I can get there. There's there's talent there, obviously. But the reason that the hype is happening so far, I'm going to be honest about this, right? First and foremost is he does have a lot of talents, right? That's the main thing. 6'3", 230-something, strong arm. Pretty flexible arm too, man. He can throw from different platforms, do all that type of stuff. And he's a good athlete. I mean, people forget when he was at Penn State, he was basically a wildcat quarterback working with Sean Clifford. Like from a talent perspective, he has everything you look for from a physical perspective. I question a lot of consistent accuracy. I question a lot of 
I question a lot of decision-making, and he's like one of those quarterbacks, Brian, for me, that he makes some very difficult things look easy a lot, but then he makes some easy things look very difficult way too often, and that is a maddening thing, right? But the NFL teams are betting on upside, right? It's unrealistic to compare every Tracy quarterback to Josh Allen. It is unrealistic. He's an outlier. But It's like comparing every freshman quarterback to Trevor Lawrence. Yep. And if you don't do what Trevor Lawrence did, because Ryan, Sean and Davis and I were talking about this on the phone yesterday. Josh Allen is a guy that we were talking about. It was it was in re- reference to the question we had in yesterday's mailbag about you know the NFC. And I'm like, look, I'm not mad at the NFC teams for passing on Josh Allen. I get that because the production wasn't there in college. He turned the ball over a bunch, and he and he he was a low complete, and he didn't show the like the Deshaun Watson skills. Like those NFC teams that pass on Pat Mahomes, I would have told you going into the draft, Ryan. I don't know, you didn't know me then. I, People that did know, my buddy Tony will tell you this. I was like, this kid is, is going to be a star. I, I just loved Pat Mahomes and and obviously thought very highly of Sean Watson. I, I was high on Pat Mahomes as well. Oh, my gosh. I loved yeah. him coming out of college. And he got masked and hidden because he was at Texas Tech. I mean, if he would have played at Oklahoma or Texas, he's the number one overall pick in my opinion. Like, I loved him coming out. But that was bad evaluation. I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at teams for passing on. The, the Bills took a chance on Josh Allen and it paid out. It paid off. It's like I said to my, I said to, I said to Sean, I was like, look, with all due respect to Andy Reed, who's a, a great coach and a great developer. If Andy Reed thought Pat Mahomes was going to be what he is now, he would not have waited till pick 10 to trade up to get him. It, it's like, I've said this about Bill, uh, Bill Belichick genius for drafting Tom Brady in a sixth round. No, he's not. <laughs> like if, if he he's thought lucky. Tom Brady was exactly, if he yeah. thought Tom Brady was going to be anything like he was, he's a moron for waiting until the sixth round to draft him. Because the thing about me, chances you had for someone else to take him and got lucky. I don't think the Bills got lucky like Tom Brady, but they, look, they they took a chance because they needed to take a chance. It was a it was a franchise that was just struggling, and they yes. needed a face. And they took they saw this big armed country boy with tons of athleticism, and they said, hey, "Why not?" You know what I mean? Right. Like they had struck out at quarterback. I mean, EJ Manuel. I mean. The, They've been making bad quarterback decisions going all the way back to taking Rob Johnson over Doug – picking Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie. Don't forget you know? about J.P. Lossman, man. You know, from but like they've JP. been making – yeah, from Tulane. It's another great Tulane quarterback, right? Big arm yeah. Tulane quarterback. I mean, they needed to take that chance, and it was a – it was a it, – it paid off. But he's the anomaly, to Ryan's yes. point. He's not the rule. That's why I say you don't let the exception define the rule. Because I could point to a whole lot more guys like Josh Allen who sucked in the NFL than yep. guys who panned out like him. Well, Brian, and it's even this isn't a perfect comparison because they're not very similar football players. But the reason that the NFL freaked out about Zach Wilson was because Joe Burrow was a one year wonder, assumed, right. right? And it was like, wow, look right. at that breakout. We need to find that guy, right? Yeah. But the problem is that guy doesn't come out every year. It just doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Josh Allen is not the rule. He landed in the right. perfect situation with a coaching staff that developed him really well, and he's extremely talented. They're getting the best out of his ability, obviously, right? And is it possible that Will Levis could be that guy? It's possible. Like, if he lands in the right situation, sure. But to value him over Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud right now, I think is ludicrous. I think it's insanity. I do. Because I think they're both very talented quarterbacks. The difference between of why they're they're being overlooked comparative to Will Levis in some circles is that Bryce Young is small. Sure. Sure. It's a talking point. It's a talking point. CJ Stroud is not consistently great out of pressure. Sure. Sure. We can talk about that. 
those are those are things to talk about. And then let me ask also, you this question, Ryan. Yes. Let me ask you this yeah. question before you go on. Do you think 20 years ago that Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are top 10 draft picks? Bryce Young, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young, absolutely not. CJ, maybe because he's maybe. still 6'3, 220. See, like, that's yeah. the thing right there. I think that's yeah. the reason why some people are willing to take a chance on Will Levis because those other two kids are more system guys and, and or, or have certain physical flaws. Sure. Uh, that are going to make them say, hey, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail on the big armed, the big, strong, strapping, big armed kid from, you know, like Will Levis. And know? the NFL, NFL makes this mistake every year almost, man. Dude every got beat year. out by Sean Clifford. Yes. Joe Burrow got beat out by Dwayne Haskins. Will Levis right. got beat up by Sean freaking Clifford. Yes. Yep. And I mean, it's it's where we are, man. And people are going to look at the tools. And again, it could hit, but most of those guys, you know, are not Josh Allen, right? Jake Locker was not Josh mm-hmm. Allen. You know, the Blaine Gabberts of the world were not Josh Allen. Like those just guys just did not materialize. Are they not talented? No, they're very talented. I mean, you remember Jake Locker at Washington, right, Brian? Like he was a mm-hmm. stupidly talented football player. Mm-hmm. strong arm, athletic, tough, all those things that you quantify with an NFL quarterback. But there's a there's a big issue with Jake Locker. It's a big issue with Blaine Gabbert. They're more good quarterbacks. <laughs> that just co- let's come down right. to it. And usually when you don't draft good quarterbacks, they don't turn out to be good quarterbacks. What now, a revelation. What a revelation like, this is. Jake Locker, I was okay taking a flyer on because he showed flashes of being that. Yes. Right? And in the right situation, he may have been a good Maybe. 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 It may have happened. Will Levis, though, I just don't see it. I, yeah, I just don't see it. I, I really don't see it. And the other thing about Jake Locker is, where was Jake Locker picked, Ryan? He was. Um, he ended up eighth, I think, eighth overall, right? Something like that. So, I mean, that was high. Yeah, right? that, that was, was high. high. Yeah. Imagine if he went one or two. Like that's the thing for me. It's just like I just don't. I just don't get it. And yeah. here's the other thing, too, is he was the number two quarterback taken in that class. The best quarterback is already off the board. We're talking about them taking Will Levis number one. Yeah. So that'd be like the Carolina Panthers passing on Cam Newton and taking Jake Locker or Blank Abbott. Yeah. That's the equivalent as I see it here. Now, I don't know if those guys are going to be as good as Cam Newton was for a period, short period of time, but like it just I don't it, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I would rather just take a different guy now. Maybe I suck again next year, but then I'm in position to get a Caleb Williams, a Drake May, or you know somebody like that. Don't, just, don't disagree. Don't disagree. You know. This is the NFL, though, man. This is the same issue we have seen countlessly. I What's mean, Justin Fields is another example. I mean, the yeah. the, the reaches that they that that draft class had is just uh, uh, incredible. The number yes. of because that was the 21 draft class, right? Correct. Trevor Lawrence was a no brainer at one. Although you had some people trying to argue that he wasn't the best quarterback in that draft class. But after that, it was like Zach Wilson. I mean, are you shocked at all that Zach Wilson is what he is right now? I'm not. No. I mean, first, he was always known to be a very immature kid. And his one good year happened to be that year where they played an awful schedule, right? Yes. You know, he was always a goofy goofball type of kid. And and he was a guy that didn't show me great accuracy. He showed me a big, strong arm. Yeah, he could throw the ball 70 yards. Okay, who cares? How many times do you do that in an NFL game? Number one. And and then then you Trey Lance, very talented kid, but he hardly played really any football. And even North Dakota State did not build the offense around him. 
Like what he did at North Dakota State wasn't anywhere close to what Carson Wentz did at North Dakota State. I I, th- I think the problem with Trey Lance too is because I actually like Trey Lance's talent a lot coming the, out. I love I, the talent, but yeah. where he was picked is my issue. Sure, because sure. you were taking a huge risk that he would. Because here's I'm sorry, Ryan, I cut you off. Continue. Oh no, I was just going to say it's. I think it's a little bit of a similar situation. Obviously, I'm not comparing them as players, but it's like the Tyler Buckner thing a little bit, right? Right. He lacked experience coming out. Trey Lance did. A one-year starter. His year got canceled to COVID. They played one football game that year. And he was a player that needed to play, right? He needs experience. And then he gets hurt this year, right? It's just like, I mean, if Trey Lance never gets hurt, maybe he develops and he's, you maybe. know, the, he's the 49ers right. starting quarterback right now. It's possible. Right. But he's just lost so much time due to injury. And Well, it, and, and it, that was the thing COVID. I had. That was the issue that I had too, Ryan, is he only had one year as a starter. And in that one year, despite playing a full season of, what was it, 12 regular season games, four playoff games, he passed for like 2,700 yards. That's it. That's it. I mean, he had one, two, three games in that year where he threw 10 or fewer passes, including the national championship game where he went 6 of 10 for 72 yards. He had a game where he went 7 of 9 for 160 yards, 7 of 14 for 62 yards, 10 for 11. 11 for 15, 12 for 15, you know, for, I mean, his, that year, right. For the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight of the first nine games that one year he was a starter. He threw, he, he had less than 200 yards passing in a game at the one double a level. And so you, you look at that stuff and you're like, how does a guy like that get picked where he got picked? You know, a kid who played one year as a starting quarterback, right? Because in 2018, he was a backup. He threw one pass the year before. In 2020, he had the one game. He had one, played one game, went 15 of 30 for 149 yards. So this guy had one full season as a starting quarterback and threw for over 200, over 300 yards just once. And he only threw for over 200 yards four times an entire season. And you're taking him in the top five of the NFL draft. How do you take an FCS kid who has one career start of over 300 yards and he has he has he had more games where he threw under 100 yards than he threw over 300 yards. Yeah, like that's the whole that's the whole problem. You can't take a guy like that at five, but that's what the NFL's turned into. And see, here's where that hurts a guy like Trey Lance. If Trey Lance would have been drafted where he should have been drafted, end of the first round, then nobody's like losing their minds about why he's not playing, and, and they wouldn't have ne- maybe felt the need to force him into the lineup this year. Right, you could have let him come along more slowly. That's the other problem is they're investing so much money in these quarterbacks. You can't do what you what the the the, the Oilers did with Steve McNair. You can't bring him in and let him sit for a couple of years and, and 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 let him cook in the oven a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you you have to play him now because Steve McNair would have failed miserably his first couple of years if he was thrust into the starting lineup with the Oilers. But they didn't they didn't make him do that because they knew this guy is making a big jump, big jump from. Alcorn State State. to the NFL, you know, and and so his first two years, Steve McNair started six games. That's it. That's it. He threw 223 passes his first two years, and then they kind of brought him along slowly, and then eventually he became a heck of a player. But nowadays, like Steve, uh, his first year, five, six, seven, eight, the first year that he became a guy that was – his first Pro Bowl year wasn't until year six – First year he finished in the top 10 of MVP voting wasn't until year eight, and his MVP season wasn't until year nine. There's mm-hmm. no way he lasts that long in, in Houston 
now. And that's the problem. That's the reason NFL development sucks because they don't they don't develop these young guys. They don't give them time to marinate. They don't give them time to develop. Aaron Rodgers didn't start for a couple of years, right? I mean, he may not have liked that, but I think that helped him. It helped him benefit him. The, you know, just there's there's two. The NFL just doesn't know how to draft or handle quarterbacks in most parts, and that's the I, problem. I, I think one other th- mistake that people make with quarterback evaluation is they fall for the flash too much. I think yeah. that's why, like Zach Wilson, is a thing, right? It's like, wow, yeah. look at that throw off platform right. that he makes. But it's like right. the out of the out of structure stuff doesn't matter if the structure doesn't if Correct. the structure isn't good. Like, right. that's, that's what it is, Thousand right? It's percent like, right. Because that's Will Levis right now, right? It's like, wow, he can make some of these throws, but it's just like, but he misses layups constantly. Same with constantly. Justin Fields. Same with yeah. Justin Fields. Like physically, just if, if you're talking about who's got the better physical tools, Justin Fields is a better quarterback prospect than Joe Burrow. Oh, easy. Better arm, easy. more athletic, bigger, stronger body. Joe Burrow is 15 times the quarterback that, that Justin Fields is and always has been. I mean, so think about how many raw, high upside kids they took in that draft, in that top 10. You know, and it's just like, this is why NFL is what it is because yeah. the, these teams don't know how to look at a quarterback and say, you know, that guy may not have this, but that guy knows how to run an offense. Right. That guy knows how, that guy knows how to get the ball. It, 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 back in the eighties and nineties, right? I understood that because the NFL was still a very much a down the field vertical passing game that if you didn't have the arm for it, you could, you couldn't win. Right. It, it's just the way that it was. It's not that game anymore. Yeah, you still need arm strength. I mean, the best quarterbacks in the league right now have strong arms, but it's, it's, you know, why, why to me is Joe Burrow beating Josh Allen? One, better supporting cast, and two, it's more consistent. Yeah, Josh Allen's going to make some insane plays. He's also going to miss some layups, but he, he, as he's gotten older, he misses fewer and fewer and fewer of those. But the the natural feel for the game was always so much better than Zach Allen's. He just was raw. But you could see with Josh Allen at Wyoming, you could see he's going through reads. He's doing this. He's doing that. He may have made the wrong read, but he's going through reads. Where when you watch Zach Allen, you're like, this kid's not reading a defense. He's going one, two, throw. I mean, and guys are wide open. So it it just – I never understood it, man. You know, I mean, I I understand it, but I don't understand. Does that make sense? Like, okay, I see the talent you're obsessed with, but – how many times does this not have to work before you realize this isn't the way to go? I mean, well, this has been going on for decades. And I mean, like the, the, the name I like to point to is, I mean, Will Levis is the modern day Jim Druckenmiller, you know, for people <laughs> my age, you know, um, I mean, think about EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder was a first round NFL draft pick. Jamarcus what in Russell, the world? Number one overall. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, at least like with Jamarcus, you could kind of, you could kind of understand it. He did sort have of. some success at LSU. And you, you, you know, it's you know, funny though, but, Brian. I, I, um, I know a, a former NFL scout that was in the room when they drafted Jamarcus Russell, like he was a part of that process. And everyone was so against that pick, man, was so who, against Al? it. Al Davis wanted yeah. his guy, man. He wanted his guy. He wanted the flashy quarterback yeah. from LSU. All right. They wanted to trade back and take Adrian Peterson. That was what they wanted to do. Yeah, that'd have been a nice, that'd have been a nice move. Yes. Yes. Or um Joe Thomas was in that draft too. So apparently the top two on the scouts board was Adrian Peterson and Joe Thomas. Yeah. And they yeah. Let let me ask you this question, Ryan. If you're the Bears and somebody wants yes. to come up and take Will Levis, would you take trade that back. trade? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't even think I, I would only go. I would only go. I wouldn't go out of the top five. Yeah, because you still want to get one of the blue chips. You still want to get Jalen Carter, Will Anderson. Like you still want to yeah. get one of those. Yeah. Here's I the do. other question: NFL draft. Would you trade Justin Fields and take Bryce Young, or would you trade Justin Fields and take Bryce Young or CJ Stroud? If I was the Bears. Oh yeah, if I was the Bears, I I wouldn't, and it's not because. So this is this is the conversation I had the other day. Bryce Young is a higher rated player than what Justin Fields was coming out for me, right? So I have a higher opinion on Bryce Young, but with where the Bears are right now, I think that they need to fill just holes right now, man. I don't think the quarterback instantly fixes anything. I just don't. And Justin Fields showed me showed me enough this year that I could say. At least he's improving, right? At least he showed some improvements. So I would stick with him and just I would mortgage that first overall pick for as many picks as possible because that roster's bad right now, man. Yeah. They have a bad offensive line, bad defense, they need more playmakers. They just gave up what would have been the 32nd overall pick this year because of the vacated pick for Chase Claypool. What are we doing, man? What are we doing? Yeah. You need draft picks right now. You need draft picks right now. You yeah. need acquis- you need you need to allocate picks to build this roster because the roster stinks right yeah. now. It's a bad roster. You're, you're, you sound like the dude at the beginning of uh, of tra- of uh, draft day. You, I'm not selling the farm for one pick. You should because your farm stinks. It stinks. I don't man. disagree. Here to me, here's the dream scenario for the Bears. This would be my yeah. dream scenario if I'm the Bears. Okay, and you Bears fans, tell me how wrong I am. I would I would look at four and seven with the Colts and the Raiders for a trade-up if one of those teams wants a quarterback. Apparently the Colts are infatuated with Will Levis, right. by the way. Great. <laughs> you're going to get a sec. – you're going to get the four – the four at four, if you're the Bears, I'll just – let me let me finish it. Yep. You're at four, you're going to still get a premium player. Okay? Here's what I would do because I agree with you. I think they have two great resources right now that can fetch them – a lot of capital, a lot of draft capital. And one is the number one pick. The other one is Justin Fields. And so because Justin Fields show promise, I think you could actually get something from him. You know, whether it's a first down the road or a couple seconds and, you know, whatever the case may be, if you can trade from one to four, pick up somebody's number one pick next year, plus your own, plus whatever draft capital you're going to get from Justin Fields, you're talking about getting five, premium draft spots and you're only going down to four and you're getting Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. That's to me, that's, that would be something that I would say, Hey, I feel good about. And then if say worst case scenario, somebody takes the two quarterbacks you like before you're picking a four, you got two first round picks next year that you can use to trade up to take Caleb Williams or Drake may. Cause to your point, you're not one off season away from fixing this thing is my point. So I would trade down to four with the Colts if I'm a bear, if I'm the Bears, and then I would look to trade. I would be very open to give me some premium draft picks for Justin Fields because, as you said, now all of a sudden, Ryan, you just got five premium draft picks, including at least one first round extra first round pick. To now, all of a sudden, you know, get the quarterback you want plus a lot of other premium draft. I know it'd be hard to pass on Will Anderson and, and Jalen Carter. But the reality is, Ryan, you can't you can't win a Super Bowl in the NFL if you don't have a quarterback. And I just don't think sure. Justin. I think Justin Fields is a good quarterback, or could potentially maybe be a good quarterback. I don't think he's a championship caliber NFL quarterback. I just don't. It's possible. I just don't. He's not even the past Lamar Jackson was coming out. 
And I have doubts about Lamar Jackson being good enough to do that. Because when you start getting into game 19 and 20 and 21 and your legs have been taking a beating all year, you're, you're, you better be able to make some throws, man. You better be able to make some throws. And that's that, that's my thoughts. What, what, do you, what do you think about that, Ry? You, you said that I'm the draft day guy, and you just came out with these, this scenario of the next step after the next step to get uh, – I mean, I love it, though, man. I love but it. But like you said, it. they need they need players. You have two huge pieces that can get you a lot of draft capital right now, and that's my thing. I, I, I actually I, – I, I, like, I like the train of thought. I really do. I question how much you could get back for Justin Fields right now. You don't now. think you get like a couple seconds? Maybe. I mean, somebody's about to draft freaking Will Levis – in the top five. <laughs> I hear you. I feel you, man. I feel you. But also the NFL didn't love Justin Fields coming out. He was the fourth quarterback taken. What like, was he? Didn't love what did he go seventh or 10th? Something. He tenth? went 11th, I think. 11th, 11th or 12th. Yeah. They yeah. didn't love him. They didn't love him yeah. coming out, which is, which is, I mean, understandable. Yeah. I just don't was, know how you didn't love him, but you love Will Levis. That was, my, that was Fields my, a far more productive quarterback and a better college quarterback. I mean, even in that draft, I mean, how do you prefer Zach Wilson over Justin Fields even, right? It's just like, that's yeah, exactly. But we'll see. Yeah. It's silly. I I don't think Justin Fields is as good as some people think he is, but I think he's a lot better than some other people think he is in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. It's a good, it's a good thing that this channel may have a draft show soon. It's good. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe even starting next week or something, Ryan, who knows? Who knows? Here's one from Omar Austin with a super chat. Omar, thank you very, very much. Thank you for the content, guys. You're welcome. And special thanks to Angela and team for keeping the board fast. I live in country website uh, website team. Y'all have been clutch. Thank you, Omar, very, very much. Yeah, we had a, a thing where it's starting to slow up a couple of days ago because there was some kind of caching issue. They caught it and and have fixed it. So it slowed up for a few days, but they got it back up and back up and rolling. So. Shout out, Ange. Yep, very, very happy. I, I kind of like her, Ryan. That's just that's just me. <laughs> that's just me. So we got some more up here. Let's get back up to here, uh, John A1. We'll get back to some of yours. We're having to skip some of yours, John, because you have like all the ones at the top. <laughs> so we're trying to mix up and uh, mix some other people in here. Man, John was feeling it before the show started, man. The problem like is they're all questions. great questions. They are great questions. You know what I mean? John always so it's has like, good ones, man. Yeah. always has good ones. His question here, though, is are there design quarterback runs that Sam Hartman could be effective at Notre Dame? Yeah, like stuff that's going to get him in space, you know, to move the chains. Yeah, I'm cool with that. A, a read zone where you're you're predicting that they're going to crash the backside and he pulls it and gets it out. Yeah, I, I can see that. The occasional quarterback draw, Ryan, we've seen him do it Wake Forest, you know, like where you really think they're going to vacate and run for seven, eight, ten yards. Where you, it's, You're doing it to catch a team off guard and to keep them honest and to move the chains. You're not doing it to like, boy, we really think we can hurt a team this week with a bunch of designed quarterback runs. It's just something you kind of have in your back pocket to say, hey, look, if we get in this situation, we really need a first down and it's it's third and three. I think I can steal 20 yards because, man, they just they just crash the backside against 13 personnel or 12 personnel. And you line up like this, man, they just crash that backside hard. And we think Sam can pull it and get outside on a counter, you know, you know, cue keep or a quarterback counter. And just get out the back door where he's got two lead blockers against one corner, and then you know. But it's it's more it's more catching a defense than it is. You think Sam can go out and rip off a big play? 
is, is yeah. my two cents. You're, you're not you're not running quarterback power with Sam Hartman, right? You're no. you're, you're sneaking one backside. Right. I think that's a perfect way to put it, man. Like yeah. he's a, and I hate this term, so I hate using it right now. But Sam Hartman's a sneaky athlete, you know. Like he's not a great athlete, but he's a sufficient player that can take what is given to him at times, right? So zone read out the back door occasionally when that end just keeps crashing, crashing, crashing because you are just tearing them up inside with SMA and digs. And then all of a sudden he's out the back door for 10 to 15 yards. Like that's, that's the ideal scenario for a guy like a uh, Sam Hartman. Cause he can, he can do some of that stuff. He just isn't just, isn't a design quarterback read guy. Like usually typically, you know, it's, it's more yeah. zone stuff and he's out the back door. I think that's a great way to put it is he's out the back door. That's what he yep. is. Yep, I agree. Good good question, John. Let's get down here to one from David Lowe. He has a recruiting question here, Ryan. He says, uh, I'm going to ask you this one first. I'm going to read this one because I want you to speak on it first. Do y'all guys think that recruiting player rankings are biased or fair? I see a lot of people upset with how far our recruits dropped. I'll give you first I, I, crack I, at this one. I mean, yeah, David, they're they're biased. Yeah, they are. I mean, if you're a if you're a player that is Picking Alabama comparative to if you're a Notre Dame, I do think that there is a bias that goes into kind of putting that guy up, you know, a couple, couple pegs. I also think that there, it's a imperfect process by a lot of people because you'll see guys just begin to, you'll, you'll see guys steadily rise or stay the same throughout the entire process if they select the school late, right? But if it's a Brendan Vernon that picks a school super early and doesn't, you know, you, there's no wavering or anything like that he's going to stay stagnant on top of picking Notre Dame. So I think there's bias, absolutely, 100%. I also think there's bias sometimes not only from the schools that players pick, but what school they come from, what region they come from sometimes, right? If a, if a player comes from – and, I mean, they deserve this to a degree because they're a great program, obviously, right? But like St. John Bosco is a school, right, that everyone knows. It's a fantastic school in the state of California. Sometimes I feel like there are some players – I think of like a Real Mitchell that came out of there, the quarterback a few years DJ ago. DJ right? Uyunglele is another yes. example. Where good player, no doubt, but are they as good as what the rankings say? Probably yeah. not because they played on a star-studded team that puts out a lot of talent. So I think those programs get the benefit of the doubt comparative to an Amesworth High School in the state of Nebraska for the Carter Nelson because he just doesn't play anyone or he's in the middle of nowhere and he doesn't come from a powerhouse school. So I do think there's bias on both sides of it. I, there's there's so many things that I find as as biases, Ryan, and and some of it is it, it used to look every every evaluator has biases, everyone does. The key, if you're, I'm talking NFL GMs, NFL scouts, NFL director of recruiting, NFL coaches at the very highest level, y'all have biases. What is a bias? I admitted one of mine earlier, Ryan. I like big receivers. And so I have to make sure that when I'm t- grading receivers that I have converse that I that I've number one, I've had to make my grading system such that I m- have made it to where the categories that I picked uh, allow for a smaller, faster guy to equal out the size thing. So then it becomes more about the other skills. Right. Uh, or I'll have to reach out to people that I know and respect who who have a bit a different type of receiver bias and pick their brain about a kid. Just That's just the reality of it. Right. And so you've got to recognize your bias. Those aren't the biases that, that, that I'm referring to. And I, and I think that Ryan's referring to our biases are this kid's from Florida. So he must be this, or this kid's from Bosco. He must be 
this or it's the scouting the helmet thing. It's the scouting or the helmet this thing. kid's going yeah. to Bama. Like the receiver that the 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 the, the, the I can't even remember his name, like Cole Adams or something like that. Oh yeah. If yeah. that kid's committed to Kentucky instead of Alabama, nobody has him ranked in the top 200. Nobody. And there's a lot of kids like that. And I've pointed this out in the past. Now, the thing for me is if you're a Notre Dame fan and you think that rankings are biased, then you need to give me examples outside of just what's going on with Notre Dame players. That's the reality of it. Because I don't think any service has a bias where the only team that they screw over is Notre Dame. Do I think there are outlets to do that? Yes, I do. Uh, do I think Notre Dame is the only one they do that for? No, I don't. And and that's just the reality of it. But here's an example of, of they're different. I don't. I actually don't think on three has a bias against a team. I think on three is just not good at evaluating and ranking players. Yes. Because they have like one guy doing it. And so now you're beholden to all of his biases. He has this obsession with offensive linemen. So there's like offensive linemen ranked in the top 100. You're like, dude, that guy has no business being ranked where you have him ranked. And there's other things where like there's just no way one guy can watch enough to come up with a top 300. You know, like I have a hard time coming up with the top 100, and I've been doing this for a long time. And I'll have my top 100 coming out here pretty soon. But the, the, the problem is there's too many other biases now that are that are not related to the talent. And I can live – I'm you know, hey, you miss on the big strapping, strong-armed Southern quarterback every year. But that's an identifiable bias that I don't think is any malice intended. The yes. issue that I have now with the biases that is, is, exists now with a lot of these networks is there's malice intended. You have people that run some of these recruiting outlets who used to cover teams that the fan base didn't treat them right. And so you see that network all of a sudden starts not treating Notre Dame players correctly, you know, just as an, as a hypothetical example, uh, there's, 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 they take into account more of what's going to sell Bama fans and Georgia fans are rabid. So did Alabama have the best class in the country this year by take rankings out of the equation? Did Alabama have the best recruiting class in the country this year? Yes, they did. I take rankings. out. I don't care what the rankings say. They did, but it's not as good. It's not so much better than everybody else that they make it out to be. Because, for example, I saw an outlet has Eli Holstein as a five-star quarterback. He wouldn't even be my top 200 because he's just not that good. He's just not. But he's going to Bama, so he's ranked high. So you you see things like that, Ryan, with Georgia and Bama and some of these other teams where these guys get bumped up high because they're going to that school. That doesn't mean that school didn't have the number one class. And it doesn't mean that if well, the rankings weren't biased, Alabama would have the number seven recruit. I'm not saying that. But instead of them being here and everybody else being here, they're here and everybody else is here. That's the difference, which is why Bama doesn't win a championship. Here's the thing. I have people tell me two things. Nick Saban's the greatest coach ever, and Alabama beats everyone on the recruiting trail every year. Then he's not the greatest coach ever. If they dominate on the recruiting trail every single year, then he should have more championships than he has. So you're telling me more often than not in the last five years, Nick Saban has been outcoached. And that's why he's not winning championships. Because I keep to everybody, he's got the best roster. Well, but Georgia can match him now. Georgia didn't beat him this year. Tennessee did. Right. Maybe, maybe some of the talent's not as good as people thought it was. Right. Now he's also had some other issues with coordinators and things like that. But like, you know, they went through a stretch. They won the championship in 12. And then they didn't win another championship until 15. Did did Nick Saban 
not know how to coach in those years, or maybe some of those recruiting classes were a little bit inflated to where maybe they had the best class, but this other team was not as far off as people thought that they were, right? And so that's kind of my point. Like if Isaiah Simmons was from Atlanta, there's no way anyone ranks him as a three-star player. Instead no way. Kansas, yeah. If Harrison yeah. Smith was from Atlanta or Dallas or Miami instead of from Knoxville Catholic, nobody has him outside of the top 50. He was an elite prospect. I don't care what anybody says. I remember thinking that coming out of high school. So there's always those types of biases. But for me, the reason I can confidently say that some of these rankings are just trash is not because of what happens with Notre Dame players. Because there's one outlet in particular that I think has a, some couple of Notre Dame players too high. Like here, Sullivan Absher's ranking it on three is a perfect example. They dropped him 200 spots because of the All-Star game. Now, my whole response, Ryan, is that's stupid. It's yeah. stupid to drop him 200 spots in an All-Star game and then not drop Luke Montgomery, who is even worse. But here's the thing. His ranking is now kind of closer to what I think it should be. They had originally had him 58th. So why? He, he shouldn't have been 58th, but it was a bias towards a certain type of offensive lineman that that evaluator has, right? And now it's kind of come a little bit closer to what it should be. Was that a, was that a, does he now, did he now all of a sudden develop this anti-Notre Dame bias to cause him to drop some? No, he's using faulty criteria to come to his rankings conclusion, right? So that's not an anti-Notre Dame bias. That's a bias I can actually live with. Now, I think on three's rankings suck, but yes. I'll be honest with you. I have more respect for their process than I do for the other services, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. I think they're just wrong. I don't think there's malice intended. Does that does that kind of make sense, Ryan? And I can deal with you being wrong because, number one, you can get better. You can change your process and maybe get a few more people involved that are legitimate evaluators. But when you're when there's malice intended or there's – and malice to me can be to hurt a Notre Dame or to hurt another team that's not a big name, or malice could also be – uh, we think this guy should be hired because he generates, he's a big social media guy. More, more he's clicks, a real yeah. favorable guy, more clicks, more whatever. We yeah. want to get in with his high school. We want to get in with his parents. We want to get in with whatever the case, the coaching staff at that team. Um, then, then those things to me are, are that's malice, right? That that's to me, that's malice. And I think there's too much of that in the rankings today. And, and so uh, it's why I, I have even less respect ranking less less respect for the rankings now than I did five, 10 years ago. And it's been a long time since I respected rankings. And I used to respect them a lot because I, I knew a lot of the guys when I first got into this, I knew a lot of the guys that were involved in the rankings. And even some of them who I didn't personally, I didn't like Barton Simmons very much, but I really felt like Bart, like personally, he was always kind of a, just not a, just kind of a jerk, uh, you know, in instances I've been around him, but whatever, it is what it is. But, I always felt like he took a lot of pride in let's get this right. And so there were times that I was like, dude, I think you're way overhyping that kid, but they had a reason why they overhyped him. And one guy that I thought they way overhyped was George Karloftis. Well, comes to find out they were closer to being right on him than I was. I didn't have sure. him in my top hundred. They had him in number eight. They were closer to being correct in my opinion than I was because I evaluate rankings based on what you were in college. And he was a darn good college defensive end better than I thought he would be. There's been other times they had had guys where, you know, I thought they were wrong and I was right. They were wrong. But I always felt like early on in 24-7, there was at least a desire to get it right. I don't think that exists anymore. 
Yeah. Rivals has not like Rivals used to have a bunch of former like college scouts and college coaches doing rankings early on, and then they went away from that and they started having people like Mike Farrell do it, and that's when they lost. They lost their way, and so that's why I have zero use. Like ESPN, for example, ESPN tries to evaluate correctly, but then they try to mix in. But you know, Southern kid, there's way too many Florida kids. Like, well, the best players in Florida, I get that, but not to that degree. Because the NFL draft and the NFL shows that it's not to that degree, right? And so, yes, Florida has the best talent, but not 40 kids in the top 100 or whatever the case may be was one of those years. You know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, to, Ryan, that's kind of where, where I where I kind of come from on this is too much of this is just, you know, who cares about your all-star game? Well, our all-star game makes us money, so we have to care. Oh, okay, I, I get that, but see, that's why – I just can't respect, you know, what you're doing. Like, does is, does Florida have the best talent in, in America? Yes, they do. Do they have 61 of the 300 best players in the country like ESPN has them? No, they don't. 61 of the top 300 players in the ESPN 300 are from Florida. That's no, no, no. It's just no. It's it's not to that degree the best, and and that's kind of that's kind of my my point, Ryan. Is I think that's where they 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 miss me. That that's where they kind of miss me a little bit. And then you know, you look at Texas, and Texas has forty eight. So one hundred and nine of the three hundred best players in the country are from two states. Would you say that Florida and Texas produce the best town in the country, Ryan? I think we'd both agree yes. with that, right? But yep. not to that degree. And so that's a bias. That's a bias I can live with because I just know mm-hmm. they have a Florida bias, right? I don't think there's malice. Dropping Tommy Kramer a hundred spots after he commits to the under after the Army game, in not your game, that's malice. And that's why I have a hard time respecting ESPN, is because of that. And so that's why I have rankings issues because it didn't used to be that way, not as much. And honestly, that's why I just think a lot of these rankings are utterly useless to be honest with you. And the problem is people are more and more and more dependent upon them. And they make arguments for that more and more and more and more as look how, and they always spin what accuracy means, right. In order to hype up why they do what they do. And it just, to me, it just, um, it, it cheapens the business a little bit more and it's only going to get worse with NIL. It's only going to get worse. Way worse. Way worse. So when you when you have, when you have a site that is putting an a nil va- a valuation on a player like yeah. that's yeah it's gonna get way worse it's gonna get way worse and, I, and I'm still I'm still trying to to find out like why how some of their rankings like on three I still don't understand how their how their class rankings are tabulated I still don't get that one like yeah. that that one makes no sense to me because it. it it's it's strange like and, and that's the thing too about class rankings how like what's the what's the cutoff right they they have these arbitrary numbers that they put on it right so i've pointed this out before notre dame signed more three four and five star players in oklahoma has a higher per player average in oklahoma they signed more uh four and five star players than lsu and more four and five star players than miami LSU barely had a higher yard uh, player average. It was 9.91.64 compared to 91.47 for Notre Dame. 
And Florida was 91.18. Notre Dame was 91.47. Notre Dame had more four and five star players. Miami signed one more player than Notre Dame. How's or Oklahoma? How's Oklahoma ranked ahead of Notre Dame? Miami's at 90.85 average player ranking. Notre Dame's at 91.47 on the on three standard. So how does how do they have a higher ranking than Notre Dame? Like, but well, because of the way this, I, I, I don't know. The average is ranking it, isn't is high. Is it like, an algorithm? Like I, I actually don't it, understand it's how some, they do it. it. That's the whole thing. They don't. They don't explain it, as far as I know. At least rivals explain. It. Here's the point system. Here's how points are handed out. We take the top twenty players in the class, and if you're ranked here, this is the point system you get. I can say it's stupid, and how come a guy that's ranked thirty second all of a sudden gets a higher ranked thing than the other guy? The other one too is uh, Shannon Terry says we're always going to have. I heard him say this in an interview. We're always going to have thirty two players ranked as five stars. His explanation is, which I thought was really silly, was, well, there's 32 first-round NFL draft picks. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Like because, because every single year there's 32 players that have first-round grades, right? No. What what did I read the other day? Some some outlet said there's 20. Right? And, And so it's just one of those things where it's like that's such an scout used to do 50. If you're a top 50 player, you're five star. That actually makes more sense to me than 32. Because they should say, hey, if you're a top 50 player in the country, you're really flipping good. Now, to me, I think that's too many. My whole thing is, what is wrong? Here's another thing. Rivals, I guarantee you, guarantee you, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty confident this is the case. The reason that Adon Schuler got dropped to a three-star mm-hmm. is because Rivals has a set arbitrary number. They can only have X number of four-star players. And so when they get past that, if so if you're gonna if you're gonna add a guy as a four star, you got to drop somebody down. And so that's what they'll do. I know that for a fact. Now, did they do that with a Don Schuler? I don't know that for a fact, but I know that that's how their system works. Why? Why? That's arbitrary. If there's there may be years around there's only 12 five star players. Because you're yep. either a five star or you're not. And you're a five star based on your grade, not your ranking slot. There may be years around there's 45 five-star guys. Who knows? But you're either a five-star or you're not. You're either a four-star or you're not. You either you either reach that grade or you don't. It's not, well, here's the cutoff. So you're not a four-star because we've reached our quota. But my if you graded me on a scale, I'd still be a four-star. Right? So, so why am I supposed to take that seriously and use that as the reason to evaluate whether a class is or is not good? I'd rather them just not ra- just not rate the guys that under under that threshold because I just think it just gives such a false notion of how good a player is, yeah. man. Like I just really do. It's just annoying. Yeah. It's very annoying to me. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So so good question, David. But I mean, I hope that that explains to you why I just don't care about. Oh, well, they get this guy right. Did did we really need rivals to tell us that Trevor Lawrence was really good? Did I, did I really right. need that? Some guys are obvious. That's not what defines you. It doesn't. It, you looking at Keon Keely and being like, he's an elite player, it does not impress me. Somehow right? people are still low on Keon Keeley's a couple yes. of platforms, which don't make any sense. First of yeah. all, he shouldn't be any lower than number one, in my opinion. Uh, but if you're going to yeah. put positional value into the conversation, which is fair, and, and you want to hype up some quarterbacks, I wouldn't do that. But if that's fair, then sure, you can have him in the top five. But if you don't have Keon Keeley in your top five, you just are not good at evaluating football players. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, I mean, Ryan, did you see anything that changed your mind about him being a top five player when you were down at? So, I mean, whatever, what elite tools, high school film, 
and then the all-star Eric game. Turner. Every single yeah. metric that you try to use, he's going to Bama. Every single metric that you say is important you to evaluate, he checks all of them as an elite top five player. And yet there's still people that don't have him in the top ten. It's wild. It's wild. Man. So, uh, yeah, I don't get that one. I don't get that one. He's the best player. He's the best player in the country this year, and I don't think it's that close, honestly. I, I don't. I think he's clearly heads and shoulders above everyone else in this class, in my opinion. It's so good, man. It's so good. Yep. In person, it's like he just like solidifies everything you think about him too. You know, it's just like and like he so was good. like coming up and talking to you at the thing. I mean, just a really yeah. nice, polite. He's a good kid. I mean, he's a great you know, kid, he man. just great kid. He just made a decision that I didn't like, but he's a great player. Um, so yeah, some of this stuff, like it just, yeah, it, it, I hope that at least helps give you a little explanation, David, on why we just don't take this stuff seriously yep. in, in, at this point in time. And and I'll I'll tell you this, Ryan. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year, but after watching two, four sevens rankings and then watching rivals arbitrary rankings and CFB nation is going to create its own ranking service. We will do that. And at first it probably just be me and Ryan, but we're eventually going to build that thing out because this, this to me, there's just a, a, a yearning for just honest analysis and we'll be wrong. We're going to get kids wrong, but you're going to know that there's no bias in it. There's not going to be Notre Dame bias. There's not going to be, there's just going to be, this is what we think. And um, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And watching the rankings this year, Ryan, they were so bad. And the the the, the drops were just so arbitrary and just uh, like inex, inexcusable that I'm just like, and it's not, again, not just for Notre Dame players. I mean, there's people that have Jason Moore like out of the top hundred. What? Yeah. What? Like that's not, he's not going Notre Dame. That's absurd. You know, like Eli Holstein is a as a five star player. Jackson Ar- one service says Jackson Arnold is the number three player in the country. Yes. What crack okay. are you? I mean, I don't know what new synthetic drug you're on right now, but it, it must be really messing with your brain to have him as the number three player in the country. I don't even have him as a top five quarterback. I don't even have his top ten quarterback. Me personally, but I mean, it's just it's just I mean, ridiculous. Like, would you trade right now if you could trade Jackson Arnold for Kenny Minchie? Would you do? I know that's kind of a hard question to ask because it's it's not possible. But if, my answer has always been no. If if both are healthy, not even close, not even close. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get to some more here. We got one from Logan Thayer. Here's a, here's a good one, Ryan. Does any team have three defensive ba- defenders big enough to guard Mitchell Evans at six five? Deion Colsey at 6'5", and Tobias Merriweather at 6'4", in the red zone. Remind me just how good Sam Martin is at back shoulder throws again. Logan Thayer is getting a little fired up today. He is, man. He is. Is there anyone that can guard them with size? No, it's not. But it's, wow. it's there's ways to defend big receivers because big receivers have their own issues. They tend to not be as quick-footed as, as smaller guys. So do you have a corner that can kind of get in their, get in their chest? I mean, I, I think of of what LSU did to Notre Dame's big receivers in, in 06, 2006, right? It just jammed them. Just didn't let them get free releases, didn't let them get clean releases, and then used their pass rush to, to attack Brady Quinn. He didn't have time to get the ball out to him. Ohio State tried to do that, but but Notre Dame, with Stovall and Samarja in 05, it was just a little harder for Ohio State to do that. And so they right. were able to – I mean, Brady still threw for like over 280 yards that game, and, and Notre Dame moved the ball pretty good. They just – they couldn't put it in the end zone and couldn't stop Ohio State. But they just beat them up. I mean, that's what USC yeah. did to them in 06, too. They just beat Reem up. They couldn't, I mean, beat Samarja up. And they wouldn't let him get off the line. And then they would just pressure Brady because they could get after the quarterback. But 
Um, the key is, Ryan, I'd say, is if your offensive line is as good as we think it is, it's going to be hard for teams to keep all of those guys in check, in, in yeah. my opinion. Anywhere, I, much less the red zone. I do think there's a misnomer as far as that you have to match size with size defensively to offensively because, to your point, Brian, the one thing about wide receivers is when they're coming off the line, right, like 6'5", Deion Colsey, for instance, it's a big target area, right, if you're talking about a guy that's really good as a jam, as a press corner, the ability to jam at the line of scrimmage. So I would actually argue that, like, as, I don't need a 6'4 corner. I need a 6'0 corner that has good hand location as far as being able to jam and redirect and do all those other things. But, I mean, Logan, to Brian's point, I agree wholeheartedly in it. Sam Hartman, I mean, he excels at those outside-the-number throws, back-shoulder throws. He does a great job with those. And you have three giants in there. And that's not even including Braylon James, who's 6'3", plus, right? Or right around 6'3". You know, Jane Greathouse might not be 6'4", but he's 6'1", and some change and physical as anything outside the numbers, right? So you have a lot of guys that are going to be hard to handle one-on-one. I think that the biggest thing is pass protection, like Brian said, but you also need the you need multiple guys to develop this year as far as being guys that defense need to keep attention to, right? Because if I have just Deion Colsey is the only guy I have to worry about, for instance, right? I can roll coverage that way. So I get two guys on him to try to defend him that way. If you are a balanced offense where you have to worry about Tobias. And you have to worry about Dion. You have to worry about Mitchell and whoever else, Jane Thomas. Then, if you are seeing a, that, means that a lot more man-to-man coverage is coming because you just don't have enough bodies to throw at multiple guys that way. So, if you have an opportunity to get one-on-one matchup with those guys, you have to like your odds if you're Notre Dame if they develop properly. That I is. Agree. Yeah, I, I also think too is is size in the red zone only works if, if he's got certain skills. It, you can't just be big. He's got to be fluid. He's got to have great body control because you're going to have a lot shorter room to work with. Yeah. I think I think size can can be a, is a weapon you should use in the red zone, but you can't just line up and throw fades all day. Like you're just – it can't be what you, the only a- thing that you do. Size to me is more effective out on the field when I have more room to – I can launch a ball 40 yards where the safety can't get over. Right. You know, and so – um, I, I, I think, yes, if you have size in the red zone, you need to use it effectively, but that doesn't just mean using size. Like like the thing that Notre Dame used to do with, remember most of on Samarja is they didn't throw a lot of fades to them. They just, they do these high-low back lines and just yeah. have Brady throw that sucker at about 11 feet and let them go up and get 10 feet and let them go up and get it. Um, that's fine if, if you have guys can get separation because if they're not getting separation, then they're just going to get pushed out of bounds. Absolutely. Right. So there's there's all the stuff that comes before it getting clean and being able to stem and lean and doing all that kind of stuff that allows you to 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 do that. So, um, yeah. And I think it's a good I think it's a good note about the size in the red zone, too, Brian, because I remember Julio Jones was not a very good red zone receiver. But, you know, who was a good red zone receiver? Antonio Brown was fantastic right. in the red zone. He was only five ten, a buck eighty five. But he knows how to find that space. Right. Like he knows where that is. Some guy, some tall receivers. They don't know how to find the space, right? Like they're just jump ball guys that are just trying to get in a, a position. And the problem is that that's easier to cover than a guy that knows how to find holes in defense, right? I mean, that's pretty pretty substantial stuff. So I think that that's a good note, though, is that it's not always just dependent on size. Right. Let's see here from uh, – we got here's one from uh, – let's see, Lang 8 the question is, how is the staff prioritizing defensive line recruiting? With so many offers out and news of 
reciprocated interest, it feels like we are going to have more guys wanting to come than spots allotted. That can be a good problem to have if you're a staff that has good communication. Yes. And what I mean by that is, is you could end up being in a situation where if you're not honest with kids about where they stand, you get a bunch of kids wanting to commit that you don't, that you don't um, want. And then they try to commit early. They don't want to come. You burn that bridge and then you miss out on the other kids. And then now you don't have either. So there has to be a healthy level of communication. You also have to be willing to, to say, okay, who are our, we we're taking now guys. And because what you also can't do, Ryan, is load up too soon to where you've now run out of room and you don't have room for multiple studs that want to may, maybe come later. Right. So it, it can be a it can be a tough challenge, but I actually like this angle of loading up and then trying to figure it out as opposed to what they used to do, which is just they offer a small f- number of kids. And then if they didn't get the guys at the top of their board, then they would move on from like, okay, we didn't get this stud lineman, so let's go get Brandon Thiasson. It was like, okay, you didn't you skipped plan B and went right to plan C. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. um plan B guys are to me, if you're if you're talking about real plan B's, that they're good football players. They're not, oh shoot, we don't have anybody. We need somebody. That's not a plan B. That's a plan F because you're F at that it's point. It's a plan in time. yikes. Plan yeah. yikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just um I, I, I don't see it that way to me. But you, you got it's gotta be good communication. You have a good strategy on who you will and won't take. And there's been communications in the problems in the past that would result in a coach taking a commitment from a kid that they weren't ready to take a commitment from. Sometimes that resulted in them having to keep a kid in the class. Other times it's resulted in them embarrassing a kid. Uh, so um, that's what happened with TJ Sheffield. Yeah. Is the receiver coach took his commitment, but nobody else on the staff had, he did not, did not get okay to do that. Uh, that happened with that Jordan Porter kid. Remember him, the kid from California that committed to Notre Dame. He didn't decommit the the area recruiter, Brian Polian, basically kind of was not truthful with a lot of the coaches. He was telling he was telling uh, I think it was Chip Long and and um, I think it was Chip Long. And I'm actually going to look up. I believe this is the this is the kid's um, year, but it was a Jordan Porter kid from, he ended up going to Arizona State, ended up somewhere else. Yes, 2018. So it was the class I'm thinking of. So he wanted that kid because Brian Polian is obsessed with getting my numbers and he was one of his kids. So he told Chip Long, hey, I like this kid. I think we can get him to commit. And Chip was like, that's fine, but I don't want him right now. I I have (laughs) other priorities. Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes, Braden Lindsay. You know, there was other guys that he wanted in that class. So he said, I'm not ready to take him right now. And then he went to Mike Elko because the kid was a two-way player and said, hey, you know, I, I think this kid can be a, a good player and, and we should take him. And Elko was like, yeah, he's a nice player, but like, I, I, I don't want him. I have other priorities. Derek Allen, Houston Griffith, right? There was other priorities in the class. So Polian essentially, from what I've been able to gather from talking to multiple people, is he was basically able to tell Chip that no, Elko wants him. And they told oh, Elko that no, Chip wants him. And so then one day Chip walks in and he sees that kid on the offensive board and he was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, nope, told you I didn't want that kid, right?" And so you're you're now screwed. Well, what Notre Dame did with that one is they just kind of let the kid make a decision to 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 leave and they he didn't have a spot basically, but they let him stay in the class until he did it. But like now with the the advent of Twitter, when a kid like T.J. Sheffield commits, everybody's tweeting about it. And you got to pretty much handle that pretty quickly. So the kid gets embarrassed. Yeah. 
And that was on the Notre Dame coach, the Notre Dame coach at the time, not on TJ Sheffield. And you feel terrible for the kid, right? That's because there was a lack of communication and a lack of having a good cohesive plan that everybody was on the same page on. This staff, in my opinion, is much more on the same page, although not all coaches are pulling their weight. Everybody knows, like, we almost had a situation like this in the summer that um, the defensive coordinator was going to take a commitment from a kid that the rest of the staff had not kind of given the okay for. And so there was uh, some things that had happened that led people to think this kid that this kid thought he was going to come to Notre Dame commit and Notre Dame wasn't willing to take his commitment. The, the, the decision makers weren't ready to take his commitment and the kid got his feelings hurt and rightfully so. And I felt terrible for the kid, but you know, that's why it's important that everybody be on the same page. Cause you don't you, forget the embarrassment part or, you know, you don't want to hurt a kid, you know, right. and, and, and hurt of, and, and burn that bridge. There's just no need for it. So you, you got to have really healthy communication in my opinion, Ryan, and at every position. I, and, but you need a big board, too. I, I felt really bad for TJ Sheffield because I remember that story. And I was happy to see that he was contributing for Purdue and yeah. doing a pretty good job. So I was yeah. very happy to see that because I felt terrible for that kid, man. The it one in the summer. Fault. Yeah, no, it wasn't, wasn't his fault. fault. Right. The one, in, the one in the summer was a really – that sucked. Just unnecessary. <laughs> that just unnecessary. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.